welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the show on the Nerd Party Network that is devoted to exploring the works of Star Wars creators and the Star Wars galaxy. I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm Mike. And this week, we are going to be looking at a work from, uh, we're continuing our series looking at uh, the outside works of people who uh, had a part in Rogue One, um, which was a highly successful Star Wars uh, story, anthology, movie, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Zhang Wen, who uh, has endeared himself to Star Wars fans the world over as the gruff Baze Malbus, protector of Donnie Yen's uh, Chirrut Imwe. Now, we're going to be looking at a movie called Let the Bullets Fly, which is a uh, film that Zhang Wen directed and stars in. Uh, over And uh, the, the film was made over in China. Uh, it's a 2010 film. And um, before we talk about the film, though, uh, what I wanted to ask you, Mike, was Zhang Wen... I, the first time I ever saw him was in Rogue One. Was that the first time you ever saw him in a in a film? Yeah, it is. Uh, my my earliest memories of Zhang Wen are when he told the world that uh, Donnie Yen <laughs> was going to die in Rogue One, and, and uh, Alan Tudyk's <laughs> facial reaction was priceless. It was amazing. Yes. Yeah. And I've loved him ever since. <laughs> yeah. It's such an innocent little flub. It really is. But yeah, I you know, Cheerit and Bays were probably my favorite part of uh of Rogue One uh overall. I, I thought that uh Yen was great and I, I really liked um you know what he brought to the role of Bays Malbus. I you know I didn't know so much about the uh, you know his his past film history. You know that it was an introduction. Uh, now, did you go crazy for Cheerit and Bays the way uh, so many others did? Uh, not so much. I mean, I didn't have anything against them. I, I thought that they were cool characters and stuff like that. You know, I especially liked uh, Cheerit, but um, I, it's not like I you know fell in love with them and you know started buying all their action figures or anything like that. You know. What kind of Star Wars fan are you if you didn't buy everybody's action figures, Mike? Come you on. You know, I don't know. I don't That's know. Just, Sorry. Come on. Sorry. You're better than that, man. Come I, on. I guess so. I guess so. Oh, <laughs> next time. Next time I'll buy all the action figures. Well, you're just saving up for the Sideshow Collectibles uh, $600 inevitable oh, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. uh, bust of Zhang Wen as Baze Malbus, <laughs> as we all are. We of all course. Are. Of course. So Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so let the bullets fly. Um, do you want to give a brief synopsis of this film? Sure. Um, a, a a band of bandits, I guess. Um, yeah. Basically, they, they sort of uh, kidnap uh, a guy who's on his way to a town to become mayor, and they decide that they're going to kind of, you know, take his place in order to profit off of this uh, whole situation. And, you know, sort of like the problem with this particular town is that it's being ruled by this, you know, evil nobleman uh, played by Chow Yun-Fat, who, um, you know, doesn't really want to give control over to a mayor. Governor. Governor, okay. Governor, yes. All right. uh, yeah. yeah, it's um, 
I mean, you know, that's a, that's a pretty straightforward way of of looking at it. I I would say that um, it's the the first thing that really struck me about it was uh, how because having seen Zhang Wen give interviews uh, for Rogue One and everything, seeing him so much more comfortable in his native language, yeah, was like it was so noticeable his his nuance and his performance, like it really I think shows that um, you know his performance as Baze really is really is terrific acting because you just believe that the guy is like that. And then you see him in, you know, more for lack of a better term, comfortable surroundings. And he, he comes to life and he, you know, he really has a real on screen charisma, uh, yeah. which is, you know, really fascinating to behold. I, I mean, arguably it comes through, you know, as Baze, but it, it's really, it was really something to see him be the leading man. Uh, as it were. Yeah, no, I, I thought the exact same thing. You know, I keep on thinking about that press conference and mm-hmm. like the whole time, like, I mean, he, I mean, he even said it, you know, right there where he's like, I, I basically don't speak English here, you know, so I'm really freaking nervous because I'm standing in front of 3000 nerds and it's streaming to, <laughs> you know, a million people on the internet. And I basically, you know, don't speak the language. And, you know, I mean, that kind of comes through in, in the uh, the movie as well, where, you know, even though obviously he can do as many takes as he needs in order to get the dialogue out, like, you can tell that he's not very comfortable with, with what it is he's saying, like, like, you're, like you're saying. And, and I think, like, as an actor, a lot of his energy is being devoted to just, like, physically saying the words you know yeah instead of you know all of the emotion and everything which goes into acting where you know i mean the the thing that they tell you is you know you memorize that stuff so that the words become you know second nature and right and because you're not thinking about like the specific lines of dialogue you're thinking about you know everything that goes behind that right and it's just it's what you say because it's what your character would be saying or whatever and and I think that there is a noticeable shift in the energy when he is in the dialogue free moments when mm-hmm. when it's action driven and stuff like that you can see a lot of that charisma from you know something like let the bullet fly, let the bullets fly where you see him come to life because he doesn't have to worry about that yeah you know it, so I think that just, that supports your point um, now let the bullets fly I I, I want to get your read on it. My my read on it was that I think that there is an inevitable uh, cultural barrier uh, for me uh, in in certain moments on the film. Like I can get what's going on, and you know I, I'm not one of those people that shuts down uh, when I watch a foreign film. I you know I I understand you know the rules are different sometimes and stuff like that. But I with certain parts of this, I had a little bit of trouble uh, coming at it from from my own perspective. Did you encounter the same or? Um, I don't really know how much of that has to do with culture. I think there were some weird choices which were made in the movie, you know. For sure. Uh, but I, I, I think they had more to do with tone and and stuff than than they had to do with culture. And maybe that's a cultural thing. I don't know. But you know, like to to me, like the 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 things which stood out where I was kind of like, what's going on here, would be like. For the most part, it is a comedy, you know, very yes. much a comedy. I mean, 
the I mean, if if you, if you if there was one thing which I did have trouble with, especially at the beginning of the movie, the dialogue is so fast. I mean, it's like a Howard Hawks movie, you know, like a screwball <laughs> comedy or something like that. Yeah, it's, the dialogue is flying so fast that I literally could not keep up with the subtitles because yeah. it was just you know so frenetic. But you know, that's obviously not a fault of the filmmakers. It's just a fault of me not being able to speak the language or understand yeah. the language. Um, but the, the the one thing which kind of stood out to me as weird is um, with all that comedy, there were moments of, like, tragedy, you know, where, like, characters who we get to know very, very well are immediately and suddenly killed. And... Mm-hmm the moments are almost played for laughs. And it's like, that's weird because there's like no shift in tone, even though like the action on screen in my mind kind of demands it. Yeah. I, you know, what's interesting is I really do think sometimes that it's the translation is difficult because you get, uh, a lot of nuance uh, lost in a translation. Uh, I'll never forget uh, taking a Shakespeare class a very long time uh, ago where um, the the teacher taught us a phrase that would have been regarded uh, in Renaissance times forward of uh, translator equals traitor. That the reason people were obsessive about speaking multiple languages was because they didn't trust anybody to tr- to get all of the nuance of what was being said. Was it a joke? Was it, you know, how serious were they being... And I think that this reminds me of, I can't remember the name of it. It was an anime film many years ago where the translation that was on screen was nice right hook, but now I'm going to kill you and get on with my life. And I remember that moment so many years ago thinking to myself, that cannot be exactly what they really meant to say. And I think that there are problems uh, with in this film in the sense that, like you said, there are, so, there are these fast-moving moments where I knew like the dinner scene or where he's telling the real governor who's pretending to be the counselor, you know, make him translate it. Tell me what he said. Tell me what. And like it's going back and forth. And the the transliteration of the lines, I'm like, this is not working, Mm -hmm. but it still kind of worked because by that point in the film, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I I, I just got to go with what with the flow with with the feel of what they're trying to set up here as opposed to the words that I that I that are being fed to me. Yeah. No, I can see that. And and yeah, that scene that you're talking about, you know, I I definitely kind of got that impression too. Um but I don't know. I don't think it's completely that because there's some uh, there's a lot of stuff which has sort of nothing to do with the dialogue which is being spoken. It's almost like the physical, you know, um humor mm-hmm. which is at play which really doesn't work well tonally um but for the most part yeah i mean i i thought that it was you know a, a pretty a pretty solid movie uh i you know i i wasn't nuts about it because even you know setting aside some of those some of those challenges there were there were things i just didn't like the trial of who was it number six that he he regarded as his son mm-hmm. was number six right uh, I can't remember it, exactly. Yeah, or was it number two? Because number two, uh, no, number two. Right, I think it was number six. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the trial that he has, where he he uh, he cuts himself open to prove that he only had one bowl of jelly. Mm-hmm. Like that scene was 
just absolutely baffling to me and the placement of it like I, I it was one of those things where I was like there are a whole lot of different things that could have happened to get that character into a different situation and there were also moments where my you know the impression I was left with was I I kind of got an insight as to why because there are there are times now where a movie comes out here, say a Michael Bay movie, where we're like, you know, we're like, ha ha ha, this is, this is Dadaist nonsense. This barely makes sense. This is just all camera movements and, and all of that. And then I watched this and I was like, huh, that's kind of like a Michael Bay movie. <laughs> but see, that's kind of makes sense now. That's, that's the thing that I kind of liked about it. You know, I mean, like it starts up and, you know, there's like this crazy sequence with like a train, which is pulled like, by horses, pulled by horses, which is like catapulted into like a pond and stuff like that. And, you know, it's like terrible, terrible effects. But, you know, whatever. They, they didn't have a lot of money to make this thing, I'm assuming. And, you know, it's an ambitious project. And, you know, whatever. I can forgive For that. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, like the action sequences and everything I thought were like really well done. You know, it reminded me a lot of like John Woo with, you know, the gunfights and stuff like sure. that. And and I thought that those were, were pretty fantastic. And it was weird because the whole time that I was watching it, I kept on thinking like, okay, he directed this movie himself. And yet they made a big deal like in the press leading up to the release of Rogue One that he had never seen a Star Wars movie before. Yes. And, you know, like uh, they talked about how Gareth Edwards was like, don't watch it until we're done making it just because I think that's funny, you know, like that sort of thing. And I'm like, wow, you know, like when when I first heard that he was directing, you know, anytime that they say like, oh, an actor is, you know, directing this movie, I think it's going to be small, it's going to be quiet, it's going to be a character, you know, actor-driven piece, you know, there's probably not going to be a lot of visual flourish or anything like that, and that's not the case at all with this movie, you know, I mean, yeah. it's it's a very, very solid-looking movie. You know, there's there's actually something about the the action sequences and the effects that I I was wondering, and I, I have not been able to find anything to corroborate this. This is just crazy thought in my head. But one of the things I was wondering was, you know, paying attention to the fact that the the gunshots are all CG, the explosions are all CG, everything CG. I almost wonder. And I have I have nothing to base this on. I almost wonder if those things are so regulated by the Chinese government that they couldn't get, you know, like functional explosives and stuff like that. That doesn't make sense to me on one level. But why would you cheat out something as basic as just a practical explosion effect? Right. I mean, it, it, were they all like that? I don't know. Yeah, like Maybe. the gunshots were were pro- all of the gunshots that I saw were CG, um, mm-hmm. and the. Uh, if I recall correctly, there's one point at near the end where you see Chow Yun Fat chamber around, and I'm pretty sh- pretty certain that the the round you see get chambered uh, is uh, is CG because it looked CG. Yeah, um, I don't know. I didn't really notice that, but I mean, there definitely was a lot of CG in it. But I, I guess I didn't really notice that. But I almost wonder what like there there was one train effect or uh, you know not train effect, but one explosion effect in the beginning where like an alarm clock shot up in the air that was CG. Mm-hmm. Was this 3D in China? I I, can't, I couldn't find anything saying whether this was three, released in 3D or not because a lot of these effects, I was like, that this looks like it's being cheated out for 3D. 
you know, I, I don't know about that, but in, in a way it wouldn't really surprise me because 3D is rather huge over in China. Um, like a, a lot of movies, like the reason why they, they shoot them um, in, or, or whatever, you know, master them in 3D is just so that they can release them in China. Uh, lo- looking at it, the the specs on IMDb, I don't see 3D listed as all, at all. You know, it was shot on 35 millimeter, um, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't see anything about it actually being in 3D. But it wouldn't surprise me because yeah, 3D is huge. Like, I mean, there's a lot of movies which have been post converted to 3D just for the Chinese release. The reason why okay. we're getting Terminator 2, you know, I mean, it's because Cameron wants it in 3D, but the the reason why they were able to justify the expense of converting it to 3D is for the Chinese market. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. China loves 3D. They they really really do. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. It, you know, it, it's just weird though. I mean, talking about like even the fact that this might be a 3D movie and that there is so much CGI and everything like that. Like you would think whether or not he's even interested in the subject manager subject matter uh that a a filmmaker who's making movies on this scale Mm -hmm. you would think that they would have seen a star wars movie you know just because that's a thing that exists right i mean almost you know just more for i mean just like everyone's seen citizen kane you know or any anything like that it's very strange I no, I I think that it really does speak to, and you had cited this uh, in a previous conversation, the bubble that we can live in sometimes. Yeah, oh, Star Wars is a big worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, but it's not, it's not quite as culturally uh, ensconced, uh, you know, in in other countries as it might be here. You know, like it's, it is definitely something. I mean. One other interesting thing, well, you know, while I took the pot shot and I said, you know, it looked like a Michael Bay movie, there were certain aspects of this where I could see Asian cinema's influence on Lucas even more clearly mm-hmm. because there were a lot of things where I was like, oh, wow, yeah, okay. Like, I, I can see where this in, you know, not this film in specific, obviously, but I could see sort of the, the cultural influence that Asian cinema had on the way Lucas put, uh, you know, a lot of his Star Wars work together. Well, yeah, and I think that it's interesting that this is basically a Western, you know, and Mm -hmm. there's obviously, like, a lot of crossover between, you know, like, Asian cinema and and Westerns and everything like that, and there's a lot of crossover between George Lucas and Westerns, you know, so, and and George Lucas and Asian cinema, so, like, there's that, that Venn diagram and, you know, Star Wars falls, I guess, right in the middle of it all, right? So Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it sort of it sort of does. I mean, you know, it, it's it's really um interesting too, because one of the things that I, I picked up on, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but there seemed to be a touch of cultural revolution about uh the character's motivations once he became governor. Um where he was he remained governor but his whole thing was telling people that nobody is above anybody and everybody is equal and everybody will make the same like it really sort of read a lot like informed by in that sense chinese culture mm-hmm. which you know post communist uh, revolution the cultural revolution i you know i would think that uh, you know and it, i guess it speaks to something that i've tried to look for is more and more uh, chinese companies are investing in american film is are we going to see 
people backing off of certain criticisms of things and an advancement of certain ideas to keep getting that money and keep playing in that market. And, you know, that that was just something that jumped out at me while I was watching it. I was like, huh, okay, yeah, that makes, you know, that makes sense. Like a lot of times with a Western, when the person comes in, it's like it's, I'm going to get rid of the bad guy, but, you know, it's so everybody can go off and live their own life. Whereas this one, he's like, I'm going to get rid of the bad guy so that we can all live equally and exactly the same as everybody else. It's like, okay. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, there, there could be something to that. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly not that up on you know chinese history and everything and i i don't know too much about you know the time period even or anything like that that this movie takes place in um right and also you know how how that relates to today but you know i mean there's certainly things which you know i I think are going to be done in order to you know cater to the chinese i mean already are being done in order to cater to the chinese market i mean you look at things like Iron Man 3 where they had like a whole subplot which mm-hmm. had basically no place in the movie but starred two of the biggest, you know, actors in China, you know, just so that they could get that that sort of like star power into the market, you know. I mean, there's things which are happening that way whether or not it'll happen with content, you know, I I don't know. But um it, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Well, I mean, if China can make uh, Facebook and Google start to play along with what they want, uh, you know, undeniably movies will start to uh, go down that road as well. Yeah. They, will, they will fold a lot faster than, <laughs> uh, than Facebook and Google will. That's for certain. Could, could be. Could be. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah it'll, be, uh, it'll be an interesting play. So, you know, it was a fair amount of effort for us to get to see Let the Bullets Fly. Um because it's not streaming. It is. And, yeah. I, I, oh, it is streaming. Yeah, I rented it, it off of iTunes. Oh, okay. See, yeah. I just got the I got the disc off of uh, Netflix. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Net, iTunes is not very. I, iTunes. Know, I, more and more, I find out I need to like keep <laughs> iTunes front of mind because I keep sort of like screwing myself up with this. That's where that's where I know, always go to first, just because it looks the best on my system. <laughs> you know. um, although although I hear there's a rumor, I'm slightly off topic, but there's a rumor that uh, come this fall, there's going to be an Amazon Prime app uh, available on the Apple TV. So that could be a game changer right there. That that could be. I And I don't have an Apple TV, but uh, I suppose if I got one, it would probably go a great way toward uh, cutting the cable the cable companies definitely yeah i mean like you look at like well stars and everything is is you know something which i've been watching you know recently and you know the quality is just as good as you know the cable stuff so so uh would you say to somebody that uh it's worth uh going to the effort to see this I would recommend it. I mean, it's interesting. It's it, I'd say on the whole, it's a good movie. You know, it's pretty funny, and the action sequences are pretty well done. Chow Yun Fat, you know, plays the bad guy, and he's excellent in this. He plays and, two roles in this, actually. Yeah, he does. He does. And apparently, I mean, I guess it makes sense with Chow Yun Fat being in it and everything. But like this was, it says on you know uh, IMDb up until 2011 at least, it was the highest grossing domestic release in China ever you know wow so that's pretty impressive um but uh yeah i didn't think it was outstanding but it it is kind of cool i mean just like we're doing here you know and trying to like see where 
all of these, you know, character actors, you know, came from in uh, Rogue One, since they they really were, aside from like Alan Tudyk, you know, a, a bunch of kind of like no name actors. I mean, aside from like the the big leads like Diego Luna and and, and stuff. Um, yeah. But you know, it's cool, and I mean, you know, there's a history. I think you know with Star Wars and sort of um, it's place in world cinema in a sense or you know the the idea that it 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 definitely sort of you know finds the best talent in you know around the globe you know not just not just locally and and you know incorporates all that stuff because i mean when you've got 15 billion dollars to spend on the making of, the, of a movie you can do that you know and and i think you that it's a wide net yeah. <laughs> yeah and i and i think that it's cool that you know people like you know, Zhang Wen are kind of getting exposure. I mean, you know, I saw someone on Twitter because, um, you know, obviously I, I I don't just follow Star Wars people. I also follow a lot of like really, really big film nerds. And they're like, you know, there's a movie which is number one at the box office right now, which stars, you know, Zhang Wen and Donnie Yen. That's insane, you know. And yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's cool that you know, sort of like the rest of the world is is getting to see these people. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I uh, uh, the the phrase I used for it was that it's sporadically compelling uh, and and interesting, and it's uh, and it is. I mean, you know, there are parts where I was kind of like not with it, but then there are certain scenes where, like the the dinner scene. Uh, and pretty much any time Zhang Wen and Chow Yun Fat are interacting, oh, like yeah. the the movie comes alive, just like pops alive. Yeah, the two of them are so good, and just seeing them go like head to head, you know, as yeah. actors, and I mean, like even Chow Yun Fat, who's always amazing, you know, I've loved him, you know, ever since. Uh, well, the first thing that I saw him in was the Replacement Killers, which is very yeah. similar to this movie in in a lot of ways in terms of the action and stuff like that, um, but. You know, again, just like we were talking about with with Zhang Wen, you know, him getting to act in his native language, he definitely opens up a lot. You know, I mean, he's playing two roles which are are extremely distinct from from one another, and Mm -hmm. he's he's excellent in both of them. And uh, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome to see him on screen. You know, yeah. So uh, you know. uh, get your your iTunes or your your Netflix disc and uh you know and check it out you know see if it works for you and if it does work for you you can uh go ahead and reach out to us uh at the nerdparty.com/contact drop us a line uh here at great shot kid let us know you know what you thought of it let us know what you thought of Zhang Wen as uh Baze Malbus as well you can also reach out to us uh on Twitter through the network's Twitter handle at join nerd party uh you can find us on Instagram at the nerd party uh, and use the hashtag Great Shot Kid um, if you want to call our attention over there. And you can go to Facebook at facebook.com slash the nerd party and uh, comment on the show posts uh, and other links that we put up there. So that's how they can reach us through the official channels. Uh, Mike, where can they find you out there on the Internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And you can also find me on talkfilmsociety.com where I do Soderbergh 2828 and you can find me on commentarytrackstars.com where I do commentary track stars and you can find me on trek.fm where I do stage 9 with you 
That's right. We do Stage 9 over on Trek.fm, which is basically the same premise of this show, but uh, for Star Trek creators. It's a lot of fun. You should check it out. Uh, staying here on the Nerd Party Network, you can find me with Matt Rushing, co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, which is more of a uh, general and obscure and weird topic Star Wars show. And you can find me co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig, where we uh, yeah, we, we, we go pretty pretty off every topic uh, <laughs> weekly over there. And you can look for uh, Castle Junkie. Uh, I'm out and about uh, on your social network of choice. So thank you for joining us for this discussion of Let the Bullets Fly. Join us next time for a very, very special episode where we will celebrate the 40th anniversary of Star Wars in our own way by putting ourselves in the hypothetical, theoretical, whatever word is proper for it, situation of we're making the original Star Wars, but today, and who would we cast? Thank you.